Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, Leading and Living in God's Flock, Part 1. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, We also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. Please note, I have a couple very important notes to pass on first. The most important thing right now is to keep an eye on what Russia is doing. Before China built the Great Wall, Russia was known as and the land Russia now occupies was called Gog. Yes, that's right. So keep an eye on them and the situation there. Also, look into Bible prophecy to see if this situation fits any of the prophecy, and do not simply take someone's word for it that you do not know. Figure this out for yourself. Secondly, I am having computer issues that may affect the quality of this podcast and next week's podcast. I have already ordered the computer parts I need, motherboard, CPU, and memory. I am hoping it will arrive sooner than expected, so I only have issues with this week's episode. However, please bear with me for the next two weeks. May God Bless you all. In our last episode titled, Leading and Living in God's Flock, Part 1, January 23rd, we examined 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. through 4. In last week's study, we learned, the language which Peter uses is not that of stern and arbitrary command. It is the kind and mild Christian exhortation. We also learned, in the Greek, an elder is called a fellow presbyter. I delved into the meaning of presbyter since the first thought of a Presbyterian might come to mind. So, it is important to make this distinction since a presbyter is not a person and member in the Presbyterian Church. They, a presbyter, serves several church body functions. They can be in administration, teaching others in the church, and sacerdotal, or holy, sacred, dedicated functions. We also learned that Christian exhortation was more than a cheering section of people encouraging you onward. It is a person who persuades, inspires, or encourages They speak a communication intended to urge or persuade the recipients to make some action. It is a communication intended to induce belief or action. We also learned that we are to give a shepherd's care to God's flock among us. Those people we know in... To learn more, listen to last week's podcast. Leading and Living in God's Flock, Part 1. 
Peter now addresses the younger people in the church. Here in America today, many of Peter's points are relevant to many of any age. Our scripture reads, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand by casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. From 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5-7 through 7. It may seem like I am breaking up the flow here, but in verse 8, Peter does move forward. So, starting in verse 5, which opens specifically with the first sentence in my Bible, which reads, In the same way, you who are younger be subject to the elders. That is quite clear and direct. Just what is Peter getting at here? Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. He commands many peculiar Christian virtues, and especially modesty, an admonition all of us need, but especially the younger ones by reason of the perverseness and pride of that age because pride seems to many to be the way to the glory of this life, the apostle testifies to the opposite, that dishonor and shame is the reward of pride and glory the reward of modesty. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes. Unfortunately, There is no definitive age ranges for those who are elders and simply those who are younger. My own input on this subject is as follows. How does one define both younger persons and the ones who would be called an elder? Where is the age break to define where a younger person is now old enough to be considered an elder? If. In simple terms, an elder is simply an older person. What biblical guidelines are there for coming to the correct answer? At this time, the best answer I have is, it depends on where you live and cultural views. In my own opinion, one should be at least age 50 to be thought of as an elder. Age 40, maybe 45, for training to become a church elder. One must also have considerable years as a born-again Christian. Suppose someone at or over age 50 becomes saved in Christ, so they are born again. Can they be a church elder? Maybe we can get some help answering these questions from some Bible passage connections to this passage in Peter and commentary comments for better learning. For clarity, our verse reference loses something if quoted out of context. Therefore, 
I will read the containing context of our verse that is associated with discerning our passage in 1 Peter. Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world means hostility toward God? So whoever decides to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you think the scripture means nothing when it says, the spirit that God caused to live within us has an envious yearning? Now, verse 6, our reference. But he gives greater grace. Period. Next sentence. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Reference from James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, from John Wesley's notes on the Bible. Verse 6 is our verse reference, but I read the greater context for clarity. Verse 6 is nonetheless very clear as our reference verse to our subject passage. Notice verse 6 again. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I think it has become very clear that God gives his grace, even what Scripture calls greater grace, to those who are humble. Are any of us truly humble? I think not. I know many people who are working on their humility and, as Scripture says here, are, as a result, according to Scripture, receiving some greater grace from God. Granted, it may not be what we expect, but, nonetheless, that greater grace is being seen in others in certain ways. If this is true, How do we deal with humility? Be clothed with humility. The literal rendering is wrap yourselves up in humility. From the People's New Testament. Right there is the how-to for receiving more grace from God. However, there is one clincher in this, and that is true sincerity. If we are truly sincere in having more humility, it is something we will honestly work to obtain. Daily. We have to work hard. We have to work hard to such a degree that we will wrap ourselves up in humility. That is huge. How many of us are truly wrapped up in humility. That tells us on the easy side of understanding here that this is not a part-time job, nor is it something that should be completely ignored either. It is a daily challenge to all of us. Maybe what follows now is some help in that regard. Having laid down the duties of pastors in the former verse, he points out the duties of the people in this, whom he calls the younger, either because they were generally younger in years than their spiritual guides, 
or because they ought to show that reverence and obedience to them, which is suitable in young ones towards their elders and teachers. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Instruction and jurisdiction belonged to the elders. Subjection and obedience to the younger. Note here that the duties of pastor and people are mutual and reciprocal. Not that their duties are alike, but because there is a like reason for the performance of their respective duties, a like engagement and obligation upon both. The duty of the one is subjection of the other ministerial direction. He adds, yes, all of you be subject one to another, intimating thereby that there is a duty of mutual subjection which all Christians owe one another in love. They ought to condescend to the meanest offices one towards another to bear with the infirmities of each other. The original word, rendered clothed, signifies first an upper garment, a frock or cloak, put over all the rest of our clothes, and so imports that we should be wrapped up all over with this grace, that this should be most visible in our conversations, words, and actions, and conspicuous beyond all other virtues. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. Wow! William Burkett said a lot we need to pay attention to. First, he said, instruction and jurisdiction belonged to the elders, subjection and obedience to the younger. It just is not said any more clearly than that. Elders, due to age alone, are responsible for instruction and jurisdiction, while the younger people are responsible for subjection and obedience. Yet still, this lingering aspect that the duties of pastor and people are mutual and reciprocal, not that their duties are alike, but because there is a like reason for the performance of their respective duties, like engagement and obligation upon both. Now, the problem with us living in these present times is that we do not know the other and religious meanings for jurisdiction. They are as follows. The jurisdiction or office of an abbot. The territorial jurisdiction of an archbishop. The territorial jurisdiction of an archdeacon. The territorial jurisdiction of a caliph the territorial jurisdiction of a bishop, the local subdivision of a diocese committed to one pastor, 
the jurisdiction of a patriarch, meaning the office, jurisdiction, or residence of an ecclesiastical patriarch, a district or province governed by a viceroy. So, as you can see, jurisdiction has many religious meanings as well as the meaning we all, today, understand of a legal jurisdiction. However, legal jurisdiction is not what is meant here. It is referring to the fact that the instruction offered by an elder in the church comes with a degree of respect that is owed the elder because the office of elder comes with some degree of jurisdiction which we today more frequently incorrectly call respect. Do you respect the elders in your church, whether they hold the office of elder or not? Do they not provide instruction to the younger, whether they hold the office of elder or not? Yes, some do not and hold back what they know very tight to their vest. However, are there not some who willingly share, demonstrating a caring for the younger? Yes, there are. So, if you are younger, do you respect those elders in your church, whether they actually hold the actual office of elder or not? I will let you answer those questions for yourself. Note here that the duties of pastor and people are mutual and reciprocal, not that their duties are alike. Notice that the duties of elder in this case, pastors and people, meaning everyone else, are what? Mutual and reciprocal. The reasoning being, there is a like reason for the performance of their respective duties, a like engagement and obligation upon both. Now, right here, is the reasoning for these comments. It is the duty of the one is subjection of the other ministerial direction. So, simply put, those who are identified as younger in their respective church bodies are to be in subjection to their elders or pastors who should be providing ministerial direction to who? the younger, period. Now, here is the bottom line on this portion. Here is the answer to the question at this point, which is, why is this so? It is the intimating thereby that there is a duty of mutual subjection which all Christians owe one to another in love. There it is, folks, the bottom line on this topic. The only remaining question is, how do we do this well? Here it is. We should be wrapped up all over with this grace, that this should be most visible in our conversations, words, and actions, and conspicuous beyond all other virtues. That right there is the why. This is supported by the last 
segment of verse 5, which reads, Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. This is supported by Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, which reads, Surely he scorns the scorners, but he gives grace to the lowly. From Green's literal translation. Associated Commentary explains this verse. He will show by his plagues that their scorn will turn to their own destruction. From Geneva Bible Translation Notes. Just what might that say about the world condition today? Plagues in biblical times were what we today call pandemics. You be the judge as to whether there might be a current connection with our suffering today. Verse 6 and 7 are one sentence in my Bible. We will examine each part individually. Verse 6 reads, And God will exalt you in due time if you humble yourselves under his mighty hand. Comma. The first observation is the fact that we can humble ourselves today, right now. I know many who have suffered disappointment for this reason. Yet, notice what this verse said right at the beginning. And God will exalt you in due time. Clearly, it is not speaking of instant remuneration for humbling ourselves today. One humbles themselves today, and one is exalted in due time. So, if someone humbles themselves today, the following exaltation will come as a future thing. Notice, too, there is no time frame on this other than it is a future thing to be exalted for humbling one's self today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, because those proud and lofty spirits threaten the modest and humble. The apostle warns us to set the power of God against the vanity of proud men and to rely completely on his providence. From Geneva Bible Translation notes. By the hand of God, understand his judgments, his almighty power, which it is our duty to submit unto, and to be humble under in the day of our affliction. And this profound submission and deep humility is the way to glory and exaltation. He can exalt us, and will do it here, if it be good for us, but sometimes God sees abasement better for his people, better because safer, and accordingly they shall have it. Learn hence that the strength and power of God should oblige us very greatly to humble ourselves before him and subject ourselves unto him. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Secondly, that God will exalt the humble in due time, either here or hereafter, either in time or in eternity. 
as it shall most and best conduce to his own glory and their good. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. There it is. If we humble ourselves today under the mighty hand of God, God will exalt the humble in due time, either here or hereafter, either in time or in eternity, as it shall most and best conduce to his own glory and their good. This is why we should not expect immediate reward from God if we humble ourselves today. It is also why, even if we really work at sincere humility, we should not expect immediate reward from God. Not that we will never get it, but we should not expect it since we may not get it until we are in eternal life. Due time is defined here as this life or in heaven, the hereafter, either in time or eternity. That is the bottom line right there. The other comment from commentary worth noting here is those proud and lofty spirits threaten the modest and humble. The Apostle warns us to set the power of God against the vanity of proud men and to rely completely on His providence. Do you see some more how-to in this commentary passage? Those worldly, proud, and lofty spirits threaten those of us working at being modest and humble. That is a very clear and blatant statement. Such are warnings to us who know and live in Christ. So, the how-to here is that regardless of what happens in the world around us and with people we meet every day, we remain set in the power of God against the vanity of proud men, and we rely completely on His Providence. Verse 7 is also some how-to for us. It reads, By casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett closes the study very nicely. The nature of the duty enjoined to cast our care upon God. It is not a providential or prudential care, but an anxious and vexatious care that the Scripture forbids. And the duty here required is this, that after we have used all prudent care and diligence in subservience to the providence of God, we should not be over solicitous about the issue and event of things which when we have done all we can, will be out of our power. Casting our care upon God implies that we should refer the issue and event of things to His wise providence, which is continually watching over us and knows how to dispose of 
all things for the best advantage to us, entirely confiding in his wisdom and goodness, that he will order all things for the best, and in that confidence, resting satisfied with the disposals of his providence, whatever they be. This is to cast all our care upon God. If you do not walk away with anything else, please listen to these words. Bear with the infirmities of each other. We will conclude this particular study in our next episode, Leading and Living in God's Flock, Part 3. What does Peter mean when he says, Your brothers and sisters throughout the world are enduring the same kinds of suffering? To some, our present pandemic issues might be obvious in this regard. To find out, join us next week. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome, and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123 dot m e at present we are located on a growing number of podcast sites so you should be able to find us on a platform you like we refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on sundays these sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, 
This is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched.